You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 6, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello and welcome. Before I get started on our topic today, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for listening this far, or if this happens to be the first podcast episode you've picked up, thank you for joining me. Thank you to friends and family who are humoring me and downloading these episodes to give me feedback and a morale boost. And for those of you who are joining me purely of your own free will, thank you for giving me a chance. I do certainly hope to improve as time goes by. This whole podcast situation is not what I had planned. Instead, it's the result of starting my counseling business on March 1st of this year. I had been planning this career move for a number of years, and it finally arrived the day that I was going to start this new adventure. And within a week, it all came crashing down. I am certainly not unique in my situation. Many people have had plans fall through big and small. And thanks to telehealth, I am still able to offer individual counseling for Oregon residents. But another element that I was really looking forward to was education. My plan had been to offer lunch and learns and seminars on mental health topics, wellness topics, and mindfulness. And now, none of this was going to happen. So barely a month after launching my counseling business, I decide why not launch a podcast and a blog to go with it. And the more I thought about it, the more I fell in love with the idea, because not only would I be able to share mental health and wellness information, but it might be in a format that is more convenient for individuals who live busy lives. And that's who veterinary professionals are. We live busy lives. So I dove into this project headfirst. I've learned how to put together a website, how to record a podcast, how to edit a podcast. By the way, I'm not sure how other people do it, but when you listen to 20 minutes of me, it's really 200 to 300 little pieces of vocal information all tied together. I'm really hoping that as I improve, I can cut that number down because it's exhausting. But for now, that's what I've got. So this huge project has taken up my time and my energy, and it's been a total labor of love. But it wasn't until recently that I realized how much this podcast has helped me personally. This whole project has given me a focus for this time period that I think has been very helpful in staving off the limbo that is inherent in what we're going through. The limbo that means we can't really plan ahead. We can't adjust in a satisfactory way to our current circumstances because we don't know how long they're going to be current. If we knew for sure that schools weren't going to open up for another year and a half, if we knew for sure that we would be homeschooling or or coaching our children through an online learning platform for another year and a half, what would we do differently? For some, that might mean clearing out the family office and actually making it a schoolroom, committing to the fact that this is going to be here for a while and we need to create an environment that's more conducive to learning. For people who maybe had a gym membership, and for them, that was the critical part of self-care that allowed them to be productive members of society. If they knew that they wouldn't be able to get back to their gym 
for another year and a half, they might commit to buying an exercise bike or a treadmill and spending some money to make sure it was a nice one. But if you think that maybe the gym will open in another three or four months, that money spent isn't worth it. Or if you're pretty sure that your kids are going to be able to go back to school in September, then moving furniture, selling furniture, buying furniture, repainting, whatever it is that it would take to create a schoolroom is probably not worth the effort. So what we end up with is a list of possible actions that we need to take, but nothing that we're doing right now, no action that we can take right now. And generally, action gives us a sense of empowerment. We are doing something, we're making change, we're making a difference in our own lives or the lives of others. But if we're waiting on information before we move forward with our plans, we end up in this limbo. Another element to consider when you are evaluating limbo is what it would feel like if you did give in and change over your office or buy that piece of equipment. For some, the fact that you have accepted this new reality almost feels like giving up. It almost feels like losing hope and clinging to hope or reserving these changes until you have a better idea of what's truly going to happen helps you feel as though you might not have to make these choices, that really things will get better and you won't need to commit to these items. Even the language that we use to describe how changing our approach to our current lives would be shows how we feel about it. So there's definitely a part of us that would like to withhold these big choices until we have more information. Unfortunately, I don't know that we're going to get information anytime soon that will provide a strong enough answer for us to make informed decisions to the degree of information that we usually like to have. And I say this as I think about the type of organization or commitment or forward thinking that we have had to have in place to become veterinarians. Think about it. For some of us, that planning started in high school. For all of us, it meant working through undergrad and always committing to the grades, always working to make sure that every item on that vet school application could be checked off. We had a plan to get into vet school, to go through vet school, and to get that first job. That's years. We're used to planning over the course of years. And right now, we can't really plan more than a month out with any certainty. We can proceed with no plans, and that's safe because if you have no plans, then they can't be disrupted. But for many people, that's a very stressful way to live. It means that we're stuck, we're waiting, and there's only so long you can wait. It's like holding your breath. We're good at doing things. We're good at accomplishing things. Most of us are good at planning. I know that's not always true. Um, I myself am horrible procrastinator. Some of these podcasts that you've listened to have been finished at 3 or 4 a.m. on the morning that I'm supposed to be launching them. But if I have a deadline, I meet that deadline. I know how to meet that deadline. I know how to plan in order to make that deadline. And even if my plans are bad or they don't turn out the way I'm expecting them to, at least I am planning and I'm implementing those plans in a way that I'm familiar with. Not being able to plan can be a huge source of stress, and that is what I want to talk about today. This idea that some of the cues that we're waiting for from our environment that we rely on to make plans, they're not going to be there. 
They're not going to be there this month. They're not going to be there next month. They're not going to be there the month after that. So we have a choice. We can either stay in this waiting pattern. We can stay in this limbo, or we can decide that we are going to start planning for our lives again. And those plans might not work out. You may have to change them. But even without a pandemic, our lives are still subject to change. Some of that change is on a small scale, such as having a flat tire on the way to work or missing a flight or having a delayed flight on the way to an important conference. Some life changes are on a big scale. You adjust your plans when you fall in love. You adjust your plans when a family member is sick. You adjust your plans when that cat is surrendered and suddenly you have five cats instead of four cats. You're always adjusting your plans. And certainly it's easier to change plans on the fly if you're responding to a good thing. It's a lot more difficult if your plans are altered by loss of a job, an illness, you know, any of these kinds of things can be a lot more difficult to adjust to. But most often you adjust by reframing your plan or by starting a new plan. It's when we get stuck in this limbo situation that we have the most difficulty because we're waiting to plan. We're waiting for information. And in this case, we're waiting for information that's really not going to come. We have a number of projections and a number of projections that I feel are well-founded and well-studied. There's a lot of really good information that goes into these projections. But what we can't predict necessarily is how Our society will respond to events, and if we can't predict how our society will respond to events, then we don't know how those projections will be affected. So if politics and science don't play nice, and we have absolutely no evidence to believe that they will, then it's going to be quite a while before we have any ability to truly predict what will happen in six months. On the outside, we could probably say that certainly within 24 months, 36 months, we should be in a stable new normal. And I would probably believe that, maybe sooner if we're lucky. But we still don't know what that new normal will look like, so that's still an unknown factor. So my thought is that rather than waiting until that new normal arrives, rather than waiting until we have the type of information we usually prefer to move forward, I would like to suggest that we just start planning. Plan for how your life looks right now. And if things change, okay, we can change our plans. We know how to do this. I'm sure this has happened to everybody. You've had something in place. You need to change the plan. Okay, that's fine. But if you have a plan in place, regardless of how good a plan it is, that's actionable. That's something that you can build on. It's something that you can communicate with your friends, family, children, co-workers. It's something that has substance. And that substance can be very grounding and it can help you feel like you're in control again. All right. So maybe you're with me up to this point. Maybe you agree that, okay, that makes sense. I need to make a plan. The next question is, what am I planning? Usually a plan involves some kind of movement or change. And right now I can't go on vacation. I can't plan social events necessarily. You start thinking about what you can't do. And it doesn't seem like there's anything active to be able to plan for. But the type of thing that I'm talking about or the type of plan that I would like to see invigorate your life are things like, how can I adjust my surroundings, my relationships, my work situation? How can I adjust all of these things such that if how I'm living right now 
is going to be true for the next year and a half? How can I make that a rich experience? This does tie in with the episodes on revising your routine or salvaging self-care, where we need to adjust how we're currently living to better take care of ourselves. But this planning situation takes it one step further. Rather than simply adjusting the minute details of your life, look at how you might adjust the week-to-week or month-to-month aspects of your life to give yourself a more sustainable rhythm if this is going to be your rhythm for however long. Maybe you're used to having social events throughout the summer that you go to, and right now that's not possible. Plan something different. Plan an elaborate at-home party. Plan an elaborate Zoom meeting. Plan a series of smaller Zoom meetings that include all of your friends or family. Or invest in the equipment necessary to start a new hobby or a new sport. Or try your hand at gardening this year and really go in whole hog. Start planning on how to actively live your life under these new normal restrictions. And I feel at this moment that I've lost some of you. Some of you are thinking, I can barely keep my head afloat right now and I'm supposed to plan a new hobby. Another objection might be, this is a financially unstable time and I'm supposed to invest in a new hobby or gardening. That's just not going to happen right now. And if you are truly still in overwhelm, I refer you back to the first episode of this podcast, and I just want you to breathe. Get your brain out on paper and just take care of yourself moment to moment. That's all you need to do. I'm speaking to people who are waiting, for whom that waiting is almost an active presence in their life. They're holding their breath. They're looking for clues that will tell them when they can start living again. This is the stage that I'm trying to address. And I do want to share a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, which I feel is very pertinent. She says that it takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. So if you have enough energy and you're spending that energy wishing, hoping, waiting, that energy can be shifted into planning. One way to approach planning is to ask yourself, what would it take to feel okay? What would it take to feel normal? And maybe some of your answers include improved socialization, a predictable daily rhythm, the ability to travel, the ability to engage with my clients again. And these things would help you feel okay. Maybe not normal, but living your life again actively on your way to feeling normal. So rather than waiting for circumstances to revert to our previous normal, maybe it's time to establish a new way of feeling okay. Let's use client engagement as our first planning example. Most of what I'm hearing from colleagues is that the honeymoon period of curbside appointments is over. Even if clients are appreciative of the arrangement or even if they comply with your regulations, it sounds like phone time and missed calls and inability to reach clients at the appropriate time is just burning everybody out in the clinic. Workflow is suffering. Timeliness is a thing of the past, and we're trying to solve these problems at a point when a lot of clinics seem to be flooded with cases. There seems to be an increased volume. If we are lingering in limbo, a temporary fix might be to staff more receptionists or extend appointment times as a way to correct what are currently hitches in client flow. But these don't necessarily improve client interactions, it just makes them possible. But what if I told you that curbside appointments were going to last into next summer? Do you feel like you've just had the stuffing kicked out of you? Maybe instead of gritting your teeth and hoping to make it through the next 12 months, 
Take a step back and plan. So what is missing? Client engagement and real-time information exchange. And that part is one of the critical factors for why I feel like appointments are taking so much longer. It's that back and forth, like getting on the phone, off the phone. It's just maddening. So what if the clinic invests in a video cam for each room and a computer setup such that a client can join a virtual meeting when it is their appointment time? So now in real time, while you're doing the exam, you can discuss your findings, the owner can watch you complete the exam, and we know for some owners, they only believe you did an exam if they watch you do it. But you can also get all that feedback from them too. If you're looking in the ear and the owner says, oh yeah, I noticed last week he was really scratching at that ear. All those little bits of information that we're currently missing will come up again in that exam. And you can consolidate your time. While you're doing your exam, you're talking to the owner. That saves so much time, especially for those typical things that we're seeing. Fleas, puppy vaccines, arthritis, lump checks, etc. You finish your exam, you talk to the owner about your plan, you get approval, you present the estimate, you tell them what meds they're taking home, and then you're done. You have accomplished what you needed to accomplish in a way that is familiar. You've gotten to watch an owner's expressions. You've been able to see when they look confused, when they look concerned, when they look anxious, when they look intimidated by a treatment procedure that you're describing that they'll need to do at home. So you've finally gotten back all those clues. And from the client side, they are able to visualize your compassion and your affection for the pet, all of these things that remind them that we are on their side, that we are part of their pet's life and want to be part of their pet's life. And it's hard to get those things over the phone. And that can be one of the reasons that we feel like maybe conflict is elevated these days with clients, not to mention everybody's more stressed, money's more of an issue. I mean, these factors are very real. But having that reminder by watching us interact lovingly with their pet can be a real boost for the relationship, the the client-vet relationship. And obviously, anytime you institute a new procedure at a clinic, there's going to be some pushback both from staff, perhaps, as well as clients. There are going to be technological issues. We know this. But if you can troubleshoot that first two weeks, 10 days, whatever it takes to get into a flow, consider that for the next eight months, while curbside appointments have to occur, you have a flow that feels more sustainable, that allows you to activate all of those skills that you've spent so much time building over your practice years. And if this makes work okay again, then it's worth it. As one caveat, I have no idea how a pet would respond to having their human's face on a screen, so that is something to consider. I can't imagine it would be too detrimental, but there might be the occasional pet freakout, so I am not standing by this recommendation from a pet response standpoint. Let's be very clear about that. By the way, if anybody does actually try this, I would really love to hear feedback and know how it went for you. Ultimately, however, this is not about my specific suggestion. This is about looking at your circumstances, identifying a problem or a concern or a reason that things aren't okay, and asking yourself, am I just trying to use a Band-Aid fix that keeps me in this limbo, or is there a more concrete solution that will allow me to feel okay? And given how nebulous our timeline is, Having that concrete solution and acting on that concrete solution might be the difference between living in limbo for the next year, year and a half, and being okay during that time. So that's mostly what I want you to think about. 
To help with the planning stage, the handout for today will guide you through a series of questions that will facilitate the construction of an action plan that will get you out of limbo and into living. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to next time. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. To have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in next week for the Science of Habit Formation.